0: Welcome to the New Books Network.
1: And here we are. (laughs) Yay! Hello to Jennifer Swanson.
0: Hello, Mel. Thank you for having me.
1: It's a great pleasure. And before I forget, I'll just introduce the show, which is the children's literature channel for the New Books Network, which I am very fortunate to host. And my guest star, award winning, multi-multi author of almost 50 books, <laughs> Jennifer Gentler Friends Swanson. Welcome to the program.
0: Well, thank you so much for having me, Mel. I'm excited to be here.
1: So usually we start off with your newest book, um, but you have like, well, we're going to talk about footprint across the planet today, mm-hmm. uh, yes. but you have a brand new book that we, you just got right now. It's not even out yet.
0: Yes. So um, say, a I re- words,
1: say a few words about the one that's coming out this summer?
0: Um, so I just got my author copies for my brand new book, Space Care. Uh, let's see, A Kid's Guide to Surviving Space. You always have to look because you never know what the subtitle is. Um, but this one is by Mayo Clinic Press. Um, they're they're getting into the kids' book business. And the cool thing is, is we talk all about, of course, since it's Mayo Clinic, medicine in space. But I also got to interview astronaut Megan MacArthur, which was
1: so cool
0: you know there's lots of fangirl moments that was one for me for this book so yeah it comes out in july of this year and it looks so cool
1: and when you say a book launches this one really launches
0: it really does right i mean exactly
1: space book boom
0: so for for my marketing little uh, thing that i made i said this book will be blasting off Ah! bookstores
1: that's even better summer. that's even better (laughs) So um, I wish you a stratospheric uh, success you so with much. your with your new book. Uh, I haven't seen it, uh, and um, it's not out. The one I did see was Footprint Across the Planet. It's, so it's... a few words about that book, which was uh, launched a few months ago, and um, so everybody so... can buy it. Yes, and should, this... and should.
0: Well, thank you. This one is Footprints Across the Planet. It's with Raycraft Books, and it's. It, I like to say it's the book I didn't know I could write. It is a picture book. It is 150 words, um, which if you've read all my other books, they're like, you know, 10,000, 20,000. Um, but this book is kind of the book of my heart. It's about how we can get people to realize that every day they're making an impact on the planet with their footsteps. And... And we talk about how the, these footsteps can take you up mountains and exploration, down under the ocean to other planets. We're making um, footprints on other planets and Mars with the Mars rover. Um, but it all kind of brings it back down. And I'm just hoping that if you think about the impact you're making and maybe put your footsteps in the right direction, right? That maybe you will make a huge impact on the world, which I hope a positive impact on the world, which we all need these days, right?
1: <laughs> for, 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 for a science, uh, STEM book, it's very lyrical. Um, yes. And, uh, and I love it. Can, can you just uh, read a few, uh, a couple of pages?
0: Absolutely. To,
1: to whet Absolutely. the appetite of people who haven't bought your book yet.
0: Well, and the other thing about this book is, if you can see, is the, Oops! if I could hold it straight, is the gorgeous photos. So this one starts out, footprints come in all shapes and sizes, colors and species. Some are large and deep, strong and purposeful. Others are small and shallow, barely leaving any imprint at all. So we start with the animals, but then we move to the human impact, right? And then, of course, we end with, because it's a science book, the digital footprint and the carbon footprint. Um, So we kind of hit every kind of footprint that there is. Um, But in the end, you know, we hope that you're considering the impact that you're making on the planet.
1: Excellent. So um, let's uh, now we're going to uh, go all the way back to a little Jennifer uh, Jen Swanson. (laughs) (laughs) Um, growing up in a in a town called Washington but not the Washington we know.
0: Correct I grew up in a small town called Washington Illinois which is outside of Peoria Um, and that town was you know, it's funny. You look back on it and I'm like, it was magical. It was a very small town. We had like, I think, 10,000 people. You could ride your bike around the town. And back when I was a kid, you could do that, right? Like you would, you would have breakfast in, in the summer. Your mom would be like, see you at lunch. And off you'd go. Um, but the cool thing is, is that town was filled with, a, with creeks. So we had a creek in my backyard. Can you guess where I spent most of my days? In the creek in the creek and it was my mom was always like don't get wet sure mom i won't get wet (laughs) (laughs) um i did all of my science experiments through my grade school you know you'd have to do these projects from the creek i learned about paramecium and amoeba and erosion and rocks um, and I just loved growing up there. There was there were trees and forests everywhere. So I felt like I was surrounded by nature when I was a kid. Um, and I was out in it all the time, <laughs> all the time. <laughs> but, but now you live in the, in a the city. And now I live in Jacksonville, Florida. yep, which we're close to the beach, so that's good. Um, yeah, I I do miss my small town growing uh, did- up.
1: Like when you say you grew up at a small town, did you milk cows and do other things like that, that people so do in small
0: I know, so our, we did have a town, like we had a town square and whatever. And no, my father worked for Caterpillar Tractor Company, but I had friends because our town, you know, like that would bus in, they had cow farms. Some of them had pig farms. They grew corn. So that was kind of all around us. Um, so that's also where we went on our field trips, right? You would go to the farms and you would, we would get to milk the cows and all that kind of stuff. Now, I, I don't know if they let you do that anymore, but we did that when we were a kid. It was amazing. That's so you got great. to see all aspects of life, right?
1: Uh-huh. You know, while, while you're talking, um, I'm thinking about your dad and the caterpillar tractors yeah. and and their footprints,
0: Oh, yes. Actually, I. I another I went,
1: book, Jennifer, another book.
0: It is. I went to Peoria for um, the Sun Foundation, which is an ecological, amazing conference all day where they talk to kids about ecology. And it was in Peoria. And Peoria, Caterpillar has built this visitor center and they have one of their mining trucks. It's three stories tall. You want to talk about footprints that higher is bigger than my house I feel like uh it was amazing it was so fun to be back there I was like I grew so that, up with that, all of
1: this that would be a great book but I mean it's like um it's a bit of a uh, Damocles sword here because the biggest footprints are the ones that may damage the world and uh, these are the minds that we need for our overconsumption uh, it, of, of daily uh, consumer products
0: Right, I mean that, and and that, but that's kind of what living on the earth is about, right? You have to balance how you do it. And I know companies like Caterpillar are very green. So even though yes, they are doing mining to give us the energy we need, they're also doing it in such a way that is green and supports the
1: environment as much as they can. So okay. it is a
0: it is a, a fine line to
1: walk. It's a sticky wicket here. We're yeah. okay. So so um if you know my contention, the people like you who write for young children, um, I, I'm just the stuff I looked at like the four to eight year olds, let's say, I don't know all of your forty seven books. Um, so are you a little five, six, seven year old at heart?
0: Actually, I'm older. So most of my books are for what we call, you know, middle grade. Ah, so okay. most of my books are eight to 12. So in my head, I'm about nine or 10. Yeah.
1: Okay. But but yeah. you're not, um, I mean, I, I just uh, met you like seven minutes ago, <laughs> but you don't come across as a shy bookworm who sat in a corner and uh, and read books and, uh, and wrote. You seem to me like to be a very friendly um um, you know, uh, with tons of friends, uh, hopping in and out of your creek and having fun. Where's I the mean, angst? Where's the angst in your childhood? <laughs> oh, well, there was Tell angst. Me some angst.
0: I mean, you know, the thing is, is I think when you're in your element, which is me and I love science and I love talking to kids and getting people of all ages excited about science. And when I'm in that element, I'm very outgoing but I was that kid who always went to the library like and was we had this beautiful library and there was a children's library downstairs and the, it was filled just with kids books oh my gosh I can't even tell you how many hours you would find me just sitting there reading um and they used to run contests over the summer how many books can you read for for a Dairy Queen blizzard right just <laughs> I mean back then I was like and I would always win I would read like 300 books or you know to be fair most of them are picture books but um you know there's, I was there's, nothing, that.
1: there's not there's nothing like picture books Jen. right right yeah exactly exactly
0: so it was fun so I was that but I think you catch me where I'm excited so then you get to mm-hmm. see my excitement
1: ah okay great so <laughs> keep the excitement going
0: yeah there's so, angst in everybody's life <laughs> okay
1: <laughs> we don't have to talk about it. No, um, fine. but 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 you are a, a science freak, and I, I have to say that um, I'm I'm close to interviewing a hundred authors. Wow! And um, I I don't I, I just I, I I pick the ones that have really great traditionally published books, right? And then I, then I find out that most of them are women. Okay, that's not surprising. Right. It's, a, it's a women's business, picture books. Um, and um, the other thing I find out is that most of them are writing nonfiction. Wow. And um, so I'm going to ask you this question. Um, you know, it, it was like, um, you know, imagine, you know, Jewish people always talk about anti-Semitism, mm-hmm. right? But imagine a world where everybody likes the Jews the best. Right. I would have trouble living in a world like that. <laughs> yes. So, so, <laughs> so yeah. I think she was nice. But, you know, imagine. imagine. Um, so it you know, I know there's this movement and we're going to have a, a Melissa on the show in a month. And um, and you're a firm believer in STEM books. Yes. Science, technology, engineering and mathematics. Yes. But isn't everybody? Aren't most of the children's books published these days? Nonfiction. No.
0: <laughs> I I would like them to be. Uh, but no. And there's probably not even out of the nonfiction books that are published, I would argue the vast majority of them are probably not STEM books either. Um, you know, I think the world of publishing, as you well know, it's a business, right? And And so the people that are running it feel like they need to pick the books that they think are going to sell the best. Unfortunately, STEM doesn't always rise to the top. It depends on the publishing house or whatever. And and it's getting bigger. Like we're seeing more contracts, which is amazing. Um, But, you know, STEM books historically have been boring. Right. I mean, until like the last 10 or 15 years when we've been allowed to really get creative with what we're presenting, um, they've been kind of boring. And so I will be honest, when I was a kid, you know, I read nonfiction books, but they felt like encyclopedias almost to me now. Like and I'll give you a great example of one book that I wrote um, because this is kind of nails it. So I wanted to write a book about self-driving cars which to me is the coolest thing ever,
1: right? Absolutely.
0: To most people, it's like, eh, right? Like, eh. So if I were to tell a kid, you have to read a book about the history of car safety engineering, they would be like, ugh, really? Right? I mean, most people. However, if I tell you this book is gonna be called Save the Crash Test Dummies, Now you're talking about the history of car safety engineering kind of told through the eyes of a crash test dummy as they go their daily life. Wow. Right. You see how that kind of turns science and STEM upside down on its head and makes it exciting. And I think that's why STEM is getting a really good resurgence is a lot of the authors, not just me, but like Melissa Stewart. So many other authors are taking STEM and making it fun and interesting. While still imparting all of the physics and everything in it, um and that's, I think that's what's what you're seeing. you're seeing mm-hmm. a lot of that, which is
1: awesome now, the the people I've interviewed are writing wonderful books about nonfiction yeah. um which makes me wonder why i'm not <laughs> This <laughs> program is about you, not me so um <laughs> so so you were a kid and you loved reading, and I suppose yes. that you won writing contests and um you decided to study chemistry of all things yes and yes. you have a bachelor's degree in chemistry yes um why would you go and do that to yourself <laughs> that's a great question
0: um so from my you, you, science... you
1: know why i'm asking why because i have a bachelor's degree in chemistry
0: oh that's right okay i forgot and, about
1: and that And ex- i was expelled from organic chemistry because i i blew up a laboratory
0: oh my gosh we are the same person <laughs> Organic chemistry. Almost. This is this is why I am not a doctor. So from the time I was nine, I wanted to why I have
1: no hair. Uh
0: yeah, organic chemistry can do that to you. Yeah. Um, so from the time I was nine, I wanted to be a pediatrician. And yeah, I mean, I wanted to be a doctor. And then when I was in high school, Sally Ride went up into space. And by that time, I wanted to be an organ transplant surgeon astronaut. Now, How all of those mixed together, I have no idea. I was 16, 17, and this is what I wanted to be. So um, I was like, I'm gonna be a doctor. Well, then I ended up going to the United States Naval Academy. Yeah. Which which was an amazing
1: school. And why did you do that?
0: Well, so my brother went a year ahead of me. And um, like, I was all set to go to the University of Illinois. I had gotten into the pre-med program. And then my parents, um, when you're at the Naval Academy, you have to do indoctrination training, you know, like you do training for, you do what we call plebe summer, where you you do the military training. And at the end of that, you have a parent's weekend. And my parents were like, okay, we're going to visit your brother as a family. And I was like, you know, 16, I was like, I can totally stay home by myself. And they were like, no. And so that, you know, me, sulky 16 year old rides in the car all the way out there I'd never been to Annapolis, Florida. Um, I'd never seen the Chesapeake Bay. I took one step on that campus. And you know how you just know? I just had this feeling. I don't know if this is where, you know, but I was like, this is where I'm supposed to be. This is, this is what I'm supposed to do. And my parents were a bit stunned. Because I was in the 11th class that had women. So it was still very new having women there. And they were like, are you sure you want to do this? This is not the regular college experience. And I loved it. Um, But while you're there, everybody who goes there, including the history and English majors, takes three years of engineering. So I took all of the chemistry classes and the labs along with three years of engineering, plus all of the military classes that you had to take. So uh, yeah, that's, and then organic chemistry and I, so that's probably what my grades weren't, they were decent, they were not straight A's. So I didn't get into medical school, probably because of the the MCAT was 80% organic. (laughs) I remember looking at it, I don't know if you got that far and took or if you were well, pregnant. I I
1: never I never wanted to be a physician.
0: Oh my gosh. I, I remember just sitting down, I was all excited. Here's my life, right? And I'm like, oh my gosh, it's all organic. <laughs> that's one of those tests where you go, C, D, A, hey, <laughs> you make little patterns. Okay. <laughs> that didn't work well as you clear, you can see. <laughs> but that's okay. I, you know, I think that's a life lesson. And, you know, when but, I, but if,
1: if we start talking about SN1 reactions, you'll know what I'm talking about.
0: Sort of. It's been a very <laughs> long time. Although I have to say it came back to me because if you look at all my books, I wrote a chemistry book. They were like, would you like to write a book on how to do chemistry for kids? It's called The Big Fat Notebook for um, Workman Publishing. And um, I was like, I took chemistry 20 years ago. <laughs>
1: I could write a book on um, how to um, chem- chemistry for young kids who won't, won't survive to talk about it. <laughs> I'm writing that down. That's a book I should write.
0: <laughs> you know how many people would buy that? A lot of parents who had angst. There's my angst. Angst going through chemistry.
1: That, that's, that's, that's angst big time. Um, The organic
0: chemistry was. Oh, my gosh. Oh, yeah.
1: And you smell all the time.
0: (laughs) I spent all my time in labs, all
1: my time in labs. And, you know, some people continue to do this for a living, but we're not going to talk about that. So they're
0: amazing because they can. I'll say that.
1: (laughs) Or they have poor sense of smell. (laughs) Um, so, so, so Jennifer, you got your bachelor's degree in chemistry, you're in the yes. Naval Academy. Did you have to serve on ships or something?
0: Um, so I did five years active duty. Um, at the time women were not allowed on combat ships. So ironically enough, my first job out of the Naval Academy actually went up to the Naval Academy prep school and taught chemistry. <laughs>
1: I, I, no, I'm sure you're the best teacher ever.
0: Well, okay. But let me just say that. When you're 22 and you're put in charge of a chemistry lab by yourself. Yeah, there, there were incidences there. (laughs) That was probably not the best plan. And let's just say very quickly, I had oversight on me. But I love to teach. And that's where I really realized that I love teaching and I love explaining things to kids. Um, And we had the Best time there I I really liked teaching and 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 so that was a great career
1: move I think for me okay so then you finished those five uh, years in the uh, American mm-hmm. Navy and then what happened
0: um, well, then I got out. and my husband, um who's a class of eighty eight grad from the academy, he stayed in. We ended up having um a son and then two daughters. He was in for about ten years active, five years in the reserve. and that's what brought us to Jacksonville. And then we he got out and we've just stayed here ever since
1: he got out and you stayed in.
0: No, no, no. I got out first. and then no, you and, stayed
1: in you stayed in Jacksonville. Oh, we
0: stayed in Jacksonville. Yes. we stayed in Jacksonville. Well, I mean,
1: it's, yeah, you, ha- you have the water.
0: It's sunshine or moving back to Illinois, right?
1: Yeah, like, right.
0: Sunshine beach. <laughs> so, yeah,
1: it's okay. been great. So, so um, you ended up really n- not being a scientist, but teaching the world about science. So, yes. so how, how did, you, how did you, you break into your writing career? That's, of course, interesting to all of us.
0: Um, It is. So when I got out of the Navy, I was a stay at home mom because we had, um, you know, multiple small kids and it was like work to pay for the daycare. Right. So I stayed home. Um, I ended up getting my master's degree in K-8 science education. So I taught online for Johns Hopkins University for a while. Um, But. I had always taken, you know, like everybody else, I take little writing classes here, you know, you, you take a writing class here, and you and you just kind of, I always wrote in journals and whatever, um, and then one day, um, I actually was substitute teaching, and I got mono, so I was at 38, don't get mono at 38, it was, <laughs> so I was in bed for like a month, are, which, are you,
1: are you 38 already?
0: Uh, yeah I'm a little bit older than that <laughs> this was quite uh yes I have I, a son that's about to turn 29 so there you go you can do your math um but uh anyway I was in bed for like a couple months which if you know me that was very difficult and my husband I don't know like we didn't have any money figured out bought me a laptop and handed it to me and says, You have been talking about writing for as long as I've known you. Now is your time, you know, because I I mean, I'm just you just watch TV, right? Like I was like, oh, my gosh. And um, so I started writing. Uh, And you might find this funny. So how did I start? I'm going to write a fiction picture book because they're so easy.
1: Ah, So easy.
0: (laughs) Right. That's what I thought. That's what everybody thinks. It's so easy. We can write fiction books. So I I wrote one. Uh, I think it was like, uh, oh my gosh, it was called Popsicle Pete. You know, it was about the frozen penguin. So I, but I based it on a real penguin at the San Diego Zoo that had lost all its feathers, and they and they had to have it wear um like a life jacket to keep itself warm. So it was crazy. Jennifer.
1: That's that's nonfiction. Sweetheart. I
0: know right like I didn't realize it at the time it was but I I mean I fictionalized it but it was Uh, really it was really like and I went to SCBWI to a mm -hmm. conference to my first conference and everybody remember your first conference where you're really nervous about your critique right you're just like Mm -hmm. they're gonna hate it they're gonna hate it and so I got this most amazing author Eileen Landau she had written like 300 nonfiction books. So she looks at this and instantly understands what I'm doing. But then she says, the worst thing anybody wants to hear, do you do anything else? (laughs) (laughs) I was like, oh my God, I'm the worst. That's it. I'm giving up writing, you know? And she was very sweet. She's like, no, 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 (laughs) no. She's like, have you ever thought about writing science nonfiction books? And I was like, (laughs) I literally was like, you mean those boring things I used to read as a kid? No. She's like, no, 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 it's changed. So this woman on her own, after the critique, sat down with me at the conference for an hour and explained to me about how to write nonfiction books, how to get into work for hire, all of these things. I'm forever indebted to her because she helped a brand new baby fledgling writer. Kind of make her way, and because she pointed me in the right path, I went back. I wrote a proposal. I sent it off for the work for hire, and two months later, I get a call from Capstone, and they offered me a two book deal.
1: Fantastic! And so I thank mean, you, thank you, Eileen.
0: Right, she's amazing. Unfortunately, I'm, I'm, she she passed on, but thank you, Eileen, <laughs> wherever um, you are. <laughs> she was and you amazing. have
1: almost almost fifty books thanks to her, and and one of the things about um, this. Community. I don't I don't want to say profession. (laughs) I I think I I think that you don't make enough money to call it a profession, but uh true. It is well maybe you do. Um it's it's more of a calling as far as I'm concerned. It is. And and the people are super nice. Yes. Yes, absolutely. So so if I if I asked you to look at my popsicle penguin manuscript, (laughs) you you would.
0: I would. You know, and and I think that's why I encourage people to go to conferences too, and and reach out, um, and you know, and that's why I do a lot of teaching because I teach at highlights, um, I teach for SCBWI, and I love to share kind of my story, which, you know, is and I and I also share the ups and downs, right? Because everything this business is not yeah some things in this business are oh my gosh <laughs> right. i'm going to continue even though i keep getting rejection so it's a up and down
1: so business. but you you had so so eileen gave you advice and she put you on the right path and you had a two book deal with capstone and you're a debut author yes and then you these two books came out yes and this was work for hire yes but um with time and, and did you have an agent then? What happened?
0: No, I didn't get an agent for quite some time. I kind of did this all on my own. Because um, when when you start, Work for Hire is a great place. Educational publishing is a great place to start for nonfiction. And they don't just take STEM. They take history. They take biography. They take all of, you know, different kinds of um, things. And so, but the money in it isn't really enough to have an agent, Right you know, and it's more like you make relationships with your editors. So you do this book for them and they're like, okay, I have this next one. Do you want this? And you're always like, yes. Um, It's not easy. I mean, there were times I was literally writing seven books at once, Um, but you just keep working. And then you just keep going to, I would take that money and I would invest it in conferences. And then I would go to conferences and meet more editors. And that's how I really took my first big step into trade is I met Jennifer Emmett, who was at the time the head of National Geographic Kids Publishing, which as a STEM author, that's like nirvana, right? Like Uh you want to work for National Geographic Kids. So, um, but you know, the one thing I tell everybody is be, be bold and be persistent.
1: But but
0: stay this side of stalkerish, right? (laughs) Don't don't cross the line. (laughs)
1: Just just this side.
0: Just this side. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so that's how, I I mean, I got my big break with National Geographic. You you stalked her? No, well, so here's the thing with her. Um, I met her at a conference and I actually pitched her an idea and she was like, well, it's really more educational than trade. And I didn't even understand what that meant back then, right? That you might as well have been talking two different languages. So I had to figure out what that meant, but she did say, keep in touch. And I was like, okay, <laughs> I, I I take that. So I would email her every-
1: Hi, hi Jennifer, we met 30 minutes ago. I'm sending you-
0: <laughs> Yeah, that's what I mean. Just this side of stalker <laughs> And so I would send her about every six months. I would send her like, "Okay, here's That's my." That's not idea. stalking. No, uh, but did I did this. That, that, for, I did this for two
1: years. It's still not stalking.
0: <laughs> um, but what I did was I figured out National Geographic Kids write very specifically. It has to be really high energy. They have lots of series, so I looked at series. And I was like, I need to, I need to pitch her a series, a book that would fit into her series. So I studied the structure and whatever, and I wrote a proposal and I sent it in and it took me two years to figure this out. So sometimes we're not the fastest, but when like, you could almost hear the laughter in her email when she emailed back, it was almost like, finally, finally. You sent me something I can use. (laughs) Now they didn't end end up buying that one, but she introduced, she asked me after two years, I get an email that says, do you know anything about neuroscience? After two years, what do you say? Yes. Doesn't matter if you do, or you say yes. And so the editor that I was put with was um, Shelby Alinsky, who was amazing and they were looking for an author to turn the Brain Games TV show into a kid's book. Wow. Which which is not easy. Like, it was very interactive, video-enhanced. And they were like, can you do this? And I was like, yes, I can. And I, you know, I will figure it out. You know, at the Naval Academy, you learn five responses. None of them are, I can't do this, right? It's It's all find out um so I figured out did
1: you remember them
0: yes sir no sir aye aye, sir I'll find out sir and no no excuse sir (laughs) those are the five (laughs) uh it's not I don't know how to do this that's not one you're allowed to say um so I just figured it out and I came up with um you know my I can read you what got me brain games. Um, Jennifer,
1: re- read read everybody. Why just... Okay.
0: Um, so it says, this is how, this is my tagline. So fire up your neurons and hang on to your hippocampus. It's time to try some brain games on a rocket ride through your cerebral superhighway. That's what got me this book. Writing, it all comes down to writing, right? Always. Um, so Incredible. that... It was, you know, that's what I say. Be bold, you know, not rude. There's a difference, but be bold and kind of go for what you want. What is the most you're going to say? No. I mean, how many rejections have all of us gotten in our lives and are still getting?
1: You and me together?
0: Yeah, a lot. Probably.
1: Without you, I'm still in the hundreds.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I'm right there with you. I'm right there with you.
1: Okay, so so then um, so then you got an agent based on that success?
0: Um actually, I didn't I actually went on my own for quite a while. I didn't get an agent for a couple of years after that because um I was working with National Geographic and I had my editor, and so we'd develop ideas together or I'd pitch her an idea. Um, I was submitting to other houses that were open. Um, I actually didn't get an agent for about three or four years later. So I think I've been in this business 15 years and I don't think I got my agent until I was like seven years or so into it.
1: So uh, you, you you wrote to several uh, agents. Um, oh, I have uh, 20 books. Would you like to represent me?
0: I mean, yeah, but it's not as easy to do. Like now agents are much more open to nonfiction, but even that short time ago, it was it was more difficult to get um, An agent, I mean, agents have
1: so many. Jennifer types. agents are more open to nonfiction. Yeah, they are genres, now than, than yeah. other genres.
0: Um, right now they are yes.
1: If I, if, listen if I have a manuscript that's remotely stem, I'll put it in my big font. This is a stem, This is informational fiction. It's not fiction it's it's informational fiction. It's about yes. ducks. Woo! <laughs> so everybody's talking stem so I'm, i i think that you're kind of preaching to the choir yeah uh so how did you get your agent in the end
0: um so in the end uh the so i've had several agents the first agent that i got um i actually got her because
1: you don't have um, to talk about all of them talk about the one that you're
0: you know the current one
1: <laughs> For example, i mean
0: they've all been great it's but the thing is is agents are like, it's a relationship, right? And sometimes it starts out great. And sometimes you're like, "Eh, it's not really working anymore. And it's not just like, I have a great relationship with all my former agents. None of them were, you know, like bad breakups or anything. It's just at that time, they helped me move to here. And then the next one helped me move to here. And then, you know, I have friends who've had an agent the whole way through. And that's also good. Um, I think they're, they're, they're great because you can bounce ideas off them and they know the market. They know the nuances of the market, right? Like I understand this book is needed in the market, but they help you figure out how to sell it because again, it's a business and some people forget that this is a business, right? So you have to be able to sell the product. You can have the best idea, but if the marketing team doesn't think they can sell it, then, you know, the book's not going to get bought.
1: So who is your current agent?
0: Lisa Amstutz with Storm Literary. Yeah. She's, oh,
1: she's, she's really She's good. very famous.
0: Yeah, she's very good. She's doing well. She's a relatively new agent, but she's doing hot out of the market. She sold a lot of sales and she's great to work with.
1: Yeah. Wonderful. So um, tell us what your advice is for, for- because because I keep mentioning this um, on the show. Um, I just had a book come out with a traditional publisher. Congratulations. Um, but I, I thank you. But I, I, I recognize that I am the luckiest person in Israel. Um, and even though it's in Hebrew, the odds are still one in a thousand against me um and most of the people listening are not there yet um but maybe they can be sure how but like like all the years when i when, when you're writing when you go to conferences and stuff right. um you don't know like like you know that the stuff you have to learn yes but then there's stuff that you don't even know exists that you have to learn and yes. not, not, and oftentimes people won't tell you so one of the functions of these interviews is to interview <laughs> the people who are like you, the one in 10,000 or 50,000 multi-published award-winning authors to share something that we don't anticipate that isn't necessarily in the cookbook or to emphasize it.
0: So, okay. So here's what I, because I, te- like I said, I teach a lot of classes and, and I do say, you know, be bold and persevere. But I think when you go to these conferences, be yourself because people go there and they get nervous. And I, and I get that, like I was that way in the beginning. Um, But at these things where you mingle, don't be afraid to go up to people or even agents or editors, talk to them like normal people, you know, don't pitch to them. If you're at the cocktail hour or whatever, or follow them into the bathroom, pitch them, because they will remember that. And that's not how you want to be remembered. But just listen to them and you will learn a lot about what they're looking for, about kind of, you know, what things they like. Um, And if you make a connection with the editor's you're that person then they'll remember they're like remember when so when you email them and you submit you can say i so loved the conversation that we had at here um and that's and and i
1: didn't follow you into the bathroom even though i want even though i wanted to
0: right and i didn't pitch to you (laughs) even though i wanted to but i think we get so like (gasps) nervous um that we forget to relax and enjoy the moment and just learn, because, you know, when you just sit there, you soak up so much um, and always so, one thing I, so,
1: so what you're saying, Jennifer, first of all, is go to conferences.
0: I think so, yes. Meet That's people, I... and
1: I, I'm, going, I'm going to agree with you because if the odds, like most of the people that I've interviewed who succeeded um, did not submit stuff in the slush pile Mm -hmm. the odds of that happening are one in a thousand one in five thousand it's it's
0: difficult the agent
1: you know has to be enough awake to have a look at your pitch um and it has to and and you usually don't know what they're looking for if they're looking for anything um and so you're like really but when you go to a conference and you meet agents or you have some connection that still doesn't mean um that you're going to get published because like you say, it's a business and they make money by succeeding and agents make yes. money by selling books. Yep. And, um, and in America, people like money. <laughs> yes, we do. <laughs> yes. And, 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 and so money is good sometimes, right? So you, you, you're still not going to have more than one chance in a hundred. No. But if you don't have some personal connection or read about the agent on the internet or have some, some way you can connect with them, Right, you go, you go back to the one in 5,000. So yes. what you're saying is, is so important. Yes. Um, what is, okay, so here's another thing. Um, you write, um, and before we go, I'm going to ask you the, the difficult question about science okay. books. Um, you write from your heart and, yes. and, 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 and your new f- footprints book is, is beautiful. Footprints across the planet because it has a lot of Jennifer in it. it it's does, not just yeah. dry stuff. It's your, it's your lyricism. It's like a few words expressing so many um, marvels about the world. Yes. And, and people should really buy it because it's steam it's, 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 it's in the sense that it really is, um, it is a literary work of art. Thank you. And I, I, I congratulate you for that writing.
0: That um, that means a lot. I because I think of myself more as a technical writer, right? Like in my head, I'm a scientist. Yeah. Which is which is why when people describe this book as lyrical, I'm like, mm-hmm. wow, okay. <laughs>
1: yeah. Okay. Here, the question is coming. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm I'm really long-winded with you because you're like some kind of long-lost sister. Oh. I, I know you're not Jewish and your name isn't Rosenberg, um, <laughs> but surprisingly to me, we think a, a lot. Yes, life. we do. But then, my question to you is: um, Where's your fiction? Where's your, you know, where's your dragons and dino- and uh, dra- dinosaurs? Is this them? Uh, where are your dragons and unicorns and 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 um, and the uh, ducks who want to be veterinarians and what have you?
0: It's there. I have been writing fiction for a very long time. I have gotten many of your listeners might know. I've gotten like this close to selling like this 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 close um and so yes it's there it's hopefully coming again soon um I wrote fiction very much but as we said it's a business I started selling non-fiction and making money which was nice because then I could build my business And then, you know, I've just been focusing on that so much for the last couple of years. And that's been bringing in money, which allows me to go places, to go on more research trips, to have my own podcast and all of these things. It's there. It's coming. Um, Yeah, it's it's. I'm trying to carve out time, actually. I'm, I, I told so, my so husband, so, so, I'm doing yeah. a writing retreat this year and I'm going to work on my fiction. And he's like, yeah. it's about
1: time. <laughs> Great. And, and so, so, so this is the question I want to ask. It's not the big question. It's the almost big question. So okay. we, tell, we tell people to write from their heart, not for the market, to be yes. cognizant of the market, but to write from their heart. So it, where is your heart? Because you are writing for the market.
0: So here's the key. What you write from your heart has to fit into the market. And it doesn't always. It
1: doesn't. So what do you do then?
0: Well, so, okay, let's go back to my Save the Crash Test Dummies book. I loved, I was obsessed with the Google self-driving car. Like I wrote Google constantly. I was like, hey, I could come out there and see your stuff. They didn't respond, right? Like, they're they're like, who is this woman? (laughs) And it took me a couple of years. And I was like, I want to do a book on the self-driving car. I want to do a book on technology that, and if you look at a lot of my books, they're technology that's happening now. And I get a lot of pushback from that, from editors and agents, because they're afraid when this book comes out, the technology will be obsolete,
1: that was right. my big question. Yes. The big question. And Jennifer, uh, listen, I, I've written for kids. I've written yep. science for kids. Um, but science, it, it, it becomes obsolete. It, it changes. Um, the stuff that we think now is right isn't going to be right in four years. That's yep. my big question. Does that yes. bug you or not? In one word. No.
0: That excites me because, um, and I'll give you an example of this. So this book I wrote is called Beastly Bionics. Oh my gosh. The Rad Robots, Brilliant Biomimicry, and Incredible Inventions Inspired by Nature. Okay. So this is by National Geographic Kids. Each spread has its own biomimetic, you know. Um, so this thing up here based on the animal. There's like, let's see, 40 of them of the 40 of them, maybe five of them are reality. The other 35 are theory. And I pushed very hard for this because editor, and I understand because they're like, well, I was like, look, we need to introduce this technology now because these kids are gonna pick up this book and be like, I wanna do this, right? And to me, it's important to get the technology across now I did a book. I've done a book on nanotechnology and I'm like, and sports. So here's what I always say the technology will not change. The basis of nanotechnology, the applications will change. Uh-huh. So if wow. you present it in that way, they still yep. understand it'll the
1: never die. Of it. Wow. Right. So Jennifer, yes. this is this is a good time to close. I'm going to have you back on the show <laughs> because we have more, but like we run out of time. Yes. And this has been spectacular. Uh, so I've been with Jennifer Swanson and we've been talking about her new book, uh, which came out a few months ago, Footprints Across the Planet. Um, one of her 48 wonderful yes. books <laughs> ranging from almost science to science, but yes. fiction is looming somewhere in the, it's
0: looming. Future.
1: It's coming. Yay! <laughs> so I hope to have you back in a few months, and it's been great having you on the show, Jennifer Swanson. Thank you so much, and I'm Mel Rosenberg, and I am what am I? I'm the what am I? I'm the host of the Children's Literature Channel <laughs> of the New Books Network. This was fun.
0: Thank you so much, Mel. And science should be. Yes, exactly. Thank you.
1: Bye.